As we come today and we take up the topic of model matrons, how to be a godly woman in the midst of an ungodly world, I was remiss just a few moments ago. I didn't make mention of the newest addition within our church family to Frank and Jenny Fryer. Uh, they had a little boy on Monday named Caleb Colton uh, Fryer, and so we rejoice with them and uh, they as they are celebrating the new birth of their son. As we come this morning, indeed, it is a time where we honor mothers, where we think about those mothers who have devoted themselves to being a cornerstone, a foundational stone within our culture. And as we come this morning, we want to be thinking about the ways that, that we as a church might be fundamentally a cornerstone to our culture. But specifically today, we're going to take up this topic of mothers, and we are going to ask for our mothers to recommit themselves to the Christian virtue that would cause their work and their witness to be vital and vibrant within the context of the home, the church, and the culture. Now, within our culture, we understand that the culture says that the greatest value within the personal life is my personal happiness. My personal happiness. That's what matters most to me. And because of that, the dangers of divorce, the acceptance of sexual immorality, and a preoccupation with self-fulfillment has taken a toll upon the American family, even within the American church family. While our culture spins out of control and the family units are breaking down and crashing all around us, the Bible lifts up the family. It exalts the place of the woman within the family and gives her a purpose, a ministry to fulfill. And we see that indeed womanhood and motherhood is a ministry. It is a ministry of teaching and passing along the gospel faithfully from one generation to the next, of preparing children to follow God's pathways, of preparing homes that would be grounded and founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the the ministry of womanhood as motherhood is being a loving example of the love of God in the midst of a broken and decaying world. I heard about a missionary one time and he was preaching and trying to stir up great zeal among people so that many might go to a foreign country and share the gospel with those there. And as he preached and came to the end of the service, at the end of the service, this mother came down the aisle and she was dragging, kicking and screaming a little boy behind her. And he said, oh, mister, oh, mister, listen, God is calling me to be a missionary. And wisely, that pastor looked at that young lady and he said to her, Yes, I believe God is calling you to be a missionary, and there is the little heathen you're supposed to preach to. (laughs) Truth be told, it is a challenge in the home, isn't it, ladies? Indeed, we understand that this is a difficult task, but understand the attractiveness of the gospel in great in great part depends upon our work and our witness within our homes. And we need to live out that gospel witness within each moment. As we enter into Titus chapter 2, Paul is moving from telling the elders to protect that message of the gospel into telling the church to practice the gospel. A thorough grasp of sound doctrine we have said will result at all times in the Christian not just professing what he says he believes, but actually behaving in the way he says he, in the way he professes to believe. 
Indeed, we are called to be in the world. But we are not called to be of the world. We are called to be a part of this world. But we are called to be witnesses of the great transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so today we are going to focus on the attractiveness of the gospel that comes through the lives of our ladies. Now listen very clearly. We're not talking about the attractiveness that comes from outward adornment. We're not talking about the attractiveness that comes through the camouflage of cosmetics that hides the flaws we cannot change. We are talking about the true gospel that changes our attitudes and our actions, the way we live our lives. Indeed, Titus ministered in a pagan environment. In fact, the prophet of of Crete had said, all Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. They are all violent. They're all dishonest. And they're all given to immorality. So what can you expect? And that is the culture he is writing to. Listen, these ladies were pressed in the midst of a culture of ungodliness. Does that sound like America in 2012? Absolutely. But understand this. He says, in spite of the ungodly world that you live in you need to be godly women you need to be examples who would then pass along the faithful gospel to the next generation older women are tra- are, are exhorted in this passage to teach and train the younger women in that which is noble that which is excellent that which is beautiful those things of the gospel the older women are to teach the younger women how to be a godly woman in the midst of an ungodly world indeed we see that god's design is for his daughters to first surrender their lives to him and then to live out the truthfulness of the gospel in such a way that their work and their words and their witness would verify what they have said that they have given themselves to. And as we come today, let us take for ourselves this passage of God's Word in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and let us look particularly today at the model matrons, those godly women who are living in the midst of an ungodly world. Let's stand together now as we read this text of Scripture. God's holy and inspired word says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. So that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Father, that is our prayer. That each and every life that is lived within the context of this world uh, that is represented here today would, Father, not dishonor the Word of God. But our lives, our words, our works, our, Father, our very actions would testify of the true transforming grace that we have found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would take us as we have come this morning, that you would wash us clean in the Redeemer's blood, and Father, that you would restore us and send us out into this culture so that we might be your witnesses, so that your gospel might go forward. Lord, lead us and guide us in these moments, and as always, we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. 
for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that indeed God desires for his daughters to be model, uh, to model holiness and purity as they mentor other women to live in the transforming power of the gospel. That's what the whole passage is about. See, it's both men and women, and we're going to expound over the next couple weeks several other applications. But understand first, this morning on Mother's Day, we're going to look at the fact that the transforming power of the gospel takes godly, takes women living in the midst of an ungodly culture and transforms them to be godly women. And he wants, uh, he wants our ladies to be models of holiness and purity so that they can then pass along the gospel to the next generation. And as we begin this morning, we're going to walk, walk through and see that this is what God desires for his daughters. Let's begin there in verse 1. And let's see, first of all, a command to all Christians. This isn't particularly for just the women. It was for all Christians. And Paul says, hey, listen, guys, you need to understand that as as for you, you are to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He opens with a move. He's changing from speaking to the elders of the congregation to the whole congregation. He's making sure every Christian at every place and every time throughout history understands it is incumbent upon you, it is incumbent, incumbent upon me to profess the gospel and to transmit it to the next generation. And so he's saying in every way you are to speak these things, you are to share it, but he wants to make sure that you understand because of chapter 1 verse 16 that just because you say something doesn't mean it's true. We said last week, it is the direction of our steps, not just the intentions of our mind, that directs the, des- the, the, the determines the destination to which we arrive. It is the direction of our steps, not just the intentions of our mind, that determines the destination to which we arrive. Well, I, I love God. I think I want to go to heaven. Well, that's nice. Let me ask you, have you surrendered your life and given yourself wholeheartedly to Christ? sure that you are walking increasingly in conformity to Jesus Christ? If not, then I would question, have you truly given all of yourself to Him? Indeed, we understand that the truest expression of what we believe is often seen in how we behave. And so if we want an accurate barometer of our level of belief, all we need to look at is what? How we behave. Now, Paul's directive is for these Christians to be speaking the gospel to one another, to growing in grace, to training up one another in spiritual health. And so what he's saying is, is listen, when we see this word teach or when we see uh, this phrase, we, we might be tempted to say, well, this means a classroom and a manual. That means that's how we learn things in the Western culture. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He says, listen, you need to speak. That's an everyday conversation. That's an ongoing conversation that is built upon itself. It's a Deuteronomy chapter 6, a Shema type of idea. Whether you get up, whether you lay down, whether you go out along the way, whether you're sitting at the table, whether you're doing whatever you're doing with your children, every moment is to be given to passing along the gospel. You're to speak the gospel in all ways at all times. 
Indeed, we understand that, that what is being said here is that the mature Christian will use every opportunity in the home, in the church, and in the community to convey the right behavior of the Christian life. If we don't, we must ask ourselves, first of all, have we given ourselves to sound doctrine? So it is a challenge to us and and it is a challenge to how we say that we learn. Is it just what we teach our kids when we want them to listen to us and follow our direction? Or is it actually how we behave each and every moment of the day that actually matters? Well, indeed, if you watch Mark Blount wash a car, he is amazingly meticulous at washing cars and he takes care of every little detail. And as he goes through that process and he is washing those cars, he's got a car that's almost older than me. And it looks a whole lot better. He takes care of every detail. And one day I asked him, well, Mark, where in the world did you learn how to wash cars like this? What manual, what place of employment did you learn this from? I watched my dad. I watched my father. That's how I learned. How do we learn the Christian life? Most often it is learned by the example of others. Indeed, the Christian life is meant to be lived not by the words of do what I say, but do what I do. Parents, that's incumbent upon you. It's incumbent upon each of us as Christians. Indeed, the Christian life is not understood from a manual in the midst of a classroom alone, but from a lifestyle that is lived in the home, in the church, and in the midst of the community. Every Christian is commanded to teach other Christians in their daily, ongoing conversation, sound doctrine, doctrine that is healthy for the spiritual growth in grace and godliness in each of our lives. That's our goal. But secondly, we also need to see that older women are to be models of godliness for younger women. Older women are to be models of godliness for younger women. We see in this passage a pattern that is to be followed and a plan that is to be implemented. First of all, there in in verse 2 or verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage, so that they may teach the younger women. Paul moves to the practical expression. This is great commission living in the midst of the local church. Indeed, what was the great commission? It wasn't just go out and preach the gospel. It wasn't just go out and baptize those who respond. It also had that little text at the end that said, teach them to obey all things that I have commanded. That's part of the Great Commission. That's part of your responsibility. That's part of my responsibility. Indeed, in our homes, we ought to give ourselves to that. And ladies, understand, Paul is singling singling you out for this part and participation in the Gospel, in the Great Commission. There's a particular work that the Lord has for you to do, a work that I can't do, a work that other other men can't do, a unique position that you have as an older Christian woman to come alongside the younger Christian women and to help them, to mature them so that they might be good workers and witnesses for God, good wives and, and mothers and homemakers so that the Lord might be glorified. 
The umbrella term that Paul uses in this passage is that term there of reverence, that they might be reverent. These women might be suitable for what is sacred. Indeed, we need to guard our testimonies, guard our lives in such a way that everything would testify to the faithfulness of our love for Jesus Christ and the fact that our witness is impeccable in nature. Indeed, it is the tenor, it needs to be the tenor of our lives to display an ethical and moral to display a consecrated holiness to God and to God alone. The Christian is to exceed the culture in every way. They are to live lives that are beyond reproach. And this is what Paul is saying. It is, indeed, the call upon a Christian's life comes not from the neighborhood. It doesn't come from the nation. It doesn't come from the mores of the culture that are accepted in our day. Indeed, the standards for the Christian life flow from where? From the Word of God and the commands He gives to us. You want to know how you should live? Don't look to your neighbor. Don't look to Betty or Beatrice or Beulah. It was hard to come up with those. You look to what God's Word says, and when you see what God's Word says, then you live it out each and every day. That testifies of a transformed life. And because of that, this holiness is going to pour forth in your life. It's going to pour out in the way that you talk. Indeed, they are not to be slanderers. They are not to be those who would slander other people. They are to be witnesses of the gospel. They are to testify the strength of the Lord in salvation. They're not to participate in the babbling that goes on in the midst of the beauty salon. Hello and good morning. Don't be over the fence gossips. Don't be spreading around the latest rumors and the innuendo. Don't participate in any of that. Give yourself to godly speech. Not only that, they were they were this would model uh, propriety and respect for others. But not only that, they are not to be drunkards. They are not to give themselves to wine. Indeed, they were to. In English, that is, exercise. They were to exercise self-control. And so they're not to drink as those within their society do. Evidently, it was perfectly acceptable for those older women to be drunkards, but the Christian was to follow a higher standard. She was not to be controlled by the spirits of alcohol. She was to be controlled by the Spirit of God, which is true for every one of us. Every one of us ought to be controlled by God's Spirit. She was to break ranks with those common habits and values and to exceed them in their life by living a life of restraint, of honor and usefulness, and finally by teaching what is good, by passing it along to the next, to the next, uh, to the next generation, passing along the gospel to those who were coming behind her. She was to vote, to devote herself to making sure that not only was she living daily in the gospel, but now her daughter is living daily in the gospel and her neighbor is living daily in the gospel and her friends are living daily in the gospel. As many women grow older, their kids leave the home and they begin struggling with significance. Where do I have a part to play? How can I, how can I fulfill the roles that God has given me? There are even some of you who are struggling with the feelings of uselessness, of loneliness, and of self-pity. You have given yourselves to think that you have no part to play. And Paul says, listen, you've got a very important part to play. You need to give yourself, devote all of your energy, pour it into disciples and mentoring young ladies. 
passing along the faith. But let me tell you this, older ladies. Respect does not come from the tone of your voice. Respect comes from the tenor of your life. It's not in the tone of your voice that respect flows to you. It's in the tenor of your life. You want to be respectable, then you be reverent. You be a lady who rejects slander and gossip. You be a lady who doesn't give herself to drunkenness, who doesn't give herself to living without self-control. You give yourself to teaching the gospel and passing it to the next generation. Older women, you need to get involved in discipling younger women. I've already raised my kids. I don't have a place to serve. I don't want to go back there and and be with the kids. Listen, this passage says you ought to devote yourself to passing the gospel along. There is no one so young they can't be useful in the kingdom of God and no one so old that they are beyond use in the kingdom of God. Older women are to be models of godliness for younger women that provide a pattern to follow and a pattern to follow in the midst of a culture in chaos. Indeed, we see not only are the older women to teach the younger women, but now there is a responsibility to the younger women. Younger women, you are to receive instruction in godliness. Younger women, you are to receive that instruction in godliness that is provided. And Paul turns his attention to the younger ladies and says, listen, your goal shouldn't be happiness. Your goal should be holiness. Your goal should be a transformed life that testifies to your home, to your church, to your culture that you have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your goal is not to live for your good, but to live for God's glory. Younger women, that's your goal. In fact, every Christian, that's your goal, to live for the glory of God. And so now he says, listen, you need to understand, you need to devote yourselves to the teaching of the older women. In what way do you mean, Paul? Well, here's seven ways that he says you need to devote yourself to their teaching so that you, so that they might teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. That's how you live it out. That's how you live it out. Now, all seven of those can basically be summed down under, under one category, and the one category is to glorify God in every way. But the two basic principles, the two basic categories that come from that is, first of all, there ought to be a love and a devotion to the family, and secondly, a, go- a commitment to a godly life that displays the gospel. The younger ladies were to be taught how to love their husbands. Taught how to love their husbands? Do we need that? That's a question. Yes. Do we really need to be taught how to love? Well, our culture says love is an emotion. Love is butterflies running around in the stomach and churning over and over. And all that sounds nice and all that sounds great until the butterflies are gone. And then what do you do? See, the culture says love is an emotion that wells up within you and gives you the power to go on. But the Bible says love is a verb, that love is a conscious decision and determination within the will of a person. And so the word for love here is not eros, erotic love, that we would think of within the context of marriage. It is philos love. It is a friendly love. It is a commitment, a deep, passionate commitment devoted to developing a friendship in the context of marriage. Young men, 
men and young women, you want the most helpful advice that I can give you in the midst of today. Don't look for butterflies in your stomach. You look for a godly man or woman that you can commit yourself to and grow and develop a friendship with. You want a lasting marriage? That's how you'll come about it. Now, we also see here that love is not a victim of the emotions. It is a servant of our wills. Love is a, not a victim of the emotions. It is a servant of our wills. What you do when you, what do you do when the honeymoon is over? You know, when you're a weekend and you're going, oh my goodness, who in the world did I marry? He seems so nice. He seems so loving. He seems so caring. I mean, he was really outgoing. He was all the time going places and doing things. And I mean, who in the world is this man that I married? Maybe it takes a day, maybe it takes a week or a month or a year. But that day comes, doesn't it, ladies? Oh, yes. That day eventually will come. Because the emotions may change, they may flee. But on that day, when you discover that your husband is nothing more than a pompous, self-centered jerk, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to run away? Or are you going to run to the Redeemer? Are you going to love God and obey His commands and love your husband in a grace-filled way so that the testimony of the Gospel might go forward and he might be one to the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Indeed, a wise woman once said, the day you said I do, you chose your love. Since then, you have been learning to love your choice. The day you said, I do, you chose your love. Since then, you have been learning to love your choice. Here's the lesson. You can learn to love your husband and wives. You can understand that indeed you can learn and grow in grace and godliness in the love that you have for your husband. Too many people today get married because they have romantic feelings and they have all of these different things going on. And then when they get married, they find out that it's not what they expected and so they want to run away. But the Bible says, don't do that because love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person living within the midst of an imperfect world. See, many of us marry for an ideal, then it becomes an ordeal, and finally we're looking for a new deal. We married what we thought was an ideal. It became an ordeal, and now we're looking for a new deal. And let me just say this. Until the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms you and changes your heart and your perspective of who you are and what you need, you will never, never, never find full and final satisfaction in the relationship of marriage. God is the one who changes you. God is the one who cleans you up and prepares you. Indeed, He's the one who makes a woman, as it says in Proverbs thirty-one twelve, where the godly woman is being described. She brings him, her husband, good and not harm all the days of her life. That's a godly woman. In the same way we have to learn our children. Well, do we have to learn our children? Not in the first week, maybe not in the first month, maybe not in the first year. But listen, when those children rise up in disobedience and downright defiance of you, you need to learn to love your children, don't you? And you need help learning to love your children, don't you? Love your children. 
It's a sin to simply slap them around or in anger to deride them with derogatory names. Rather than doing that, we ought to seek to love them, to show them the grace that has been extended to us from God Himself. A preacher named Rufus Jones recalls his mother and her godly example of loving him. He said she left him at home to do all the chores to his dismay. That afternoon, he had given himself to playing ball with with his his uh, friends all day long and finally at the end of the day you know what happened her his mother's car pulled in the driveway and he didn't have one chore marked off the list he ran inside scared to death he was get about to get the spanking of a lifetime convinced he was going to feel, feel the full wrath of his mother and he tells the story of his mother walking up and looking him straight in the face and weeping having tears rolling down her cheeks and wrapping her son in her arms of love and praying lord make him a man lord make him a man and he was overwhelmed by the weeping arms of love that had embraced him mothers we need to love our children Indeed, we also need to be sensible. We need to put God's priorities ahead of our priorities. We need to be pure in every way. We need to let our affections rest only on our husbands and not on anyone or anything else. Indeed, we need to be, be willing to submit to the Lord, even uh, submit to our husbands, even to the Lord. If you want to know more about that, look on the online back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and you can find out more about those texts as we unpack fully what that meant. But understand this, the wife is an integral part to our culture. And God has given the Christian woman a special place to bring special grace and beauty to her home. Paul is commending women in this passage who understand the importance and the high priority is commending women who understand the importance and high priority which God has designed into the roles of mother, wife, and homemaker. Society rests, understand this, most critically upon the foundations of the home where each member of society should learn respect for authority, values, and relational skills, duty to God and to neighbor and to nation. You want to show me what what the culture consists of? You show me the Christian home, and I'll tell you what the culture consists of. Men and women, we have a terrible lack in our day, in our nation. Ladies, you have been given a great opportunity to work within the home. Wasn't it amazing a few weeks ago? A few weeks ago to see Ann Romney chastised as having never worked a day in her life as she stayed at home and devoted herself to raising five boys. What a statement of arrogance and ignorance. Five boys? Are you kidding me? We had two in my house and she couldn't keep control of them. Man, listen. We need to understand that that within our homes, it is to be a healthy place where the gospel flourishes and goes forward and is passed along to the next generation. And ladies, sometimes it takes wisdom from the older ladies to teach you how you should respond and react to the situations in which you live. Seek it out. Look for it. Younger women are to receive this biblical instruction so that they might honor God in their home. 
And understand this doesn't just happen. You don't become a lady of 55 or 60 years old and by happenstance you start living a life of reverence that is respected by all. This is a decision that you make at an early age to love God above everything else, to love others even as you love yourself, and to, minister, to, to grow in grace and godliness in a daily, consistent way. And because of these things, there is a perspective that you need to keep. Is it worth it? Is it worth it, ladies, to live in this way? Is it worth it to pursue that growth in grace and godliness? In verse 5, it says there is a perspective that is to be kept for the Christian woman so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Absolutely, it is worth it. Because your investment in today will be the cornerstone for the future of God's kingdom in this world. See, women, it's important to remember that people are watching how you live. People on the street, people that are passing, people within the church, people within the community. They're watching to see whether or not your life maligns the word of God or, uh, or builds up the word of God. J.B. Phillips says that women who live out these principles are a good advertisement for the Christian faith. And so let me just stop and say this. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, that women are to adorn themselves in a proper way, that women are to adorn themselves and give them to the, themselves to the things of God. Remember that passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, where it says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that it is... Even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Let it be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Ladies, you want to know how you ought to live out your life? There's the goal right there. That's the goal. And he says, don't be merely adorned. I think the KJV says something. Don't, don't be merely adorned by the wearing of clothes. That'd make for an interesting service, wouldn't it? He says, listen, it's not the outward appearance that matters. It's the internal appearance. It's the heart of a person that matters. Listen, it's not uh, a statement against wearing makeup. There are some legalists who say you shouldn't wear makeup. I stand on the opposite extreme. I say I've never seen an old barn that couldn't stand a fresh coat of paint. But I want you to hear this and hear this well. You should never trade your external appearance to determine the value of your internal soul. Young ladies, you need to watch what you put on Facebook because you know what? You're displaying for the world to see an ex- that you value the external over the internal. You need to understand that when you dress, ladies in general, when you dress and go out in public, you need to understand the clothes you wear and what you adorn yourself outwardly with displays what you count as most precious internally. 
Guard your testimony. Guard your witness. Let the world not see your external appearance as first and foremost importance, but your internal appearance, your eternal value before the living God. And you do that through giving yourself to the gospel daily. Indeed, ladies, it is our job to glorify God in all of our attitudes and our actions. It is our job. It is our desire for you to live and to model holiness and purity within your lives, for you to mentor, mentor other women, to, for you to give yourselves to the work of the gospel, whether that be in teaching and working in ministry and, and the different things that go on around the, this place, and to give yourselves to classes like we're about to teach where, where we're going to study on the mission of motherhood, to give yourselves to prayer time, to working in Wayne Pregnancy Care Center, to ministering to the women of your community, to developing disciples within the Awana ministry, within the youth ministry, within the Sunday school ministry. Listen, it is vitally important for you, if you've been transformed by the gospel of God, to live it out in the context of our culture. As we close today, I want to ask you, have you given your heart and life to Christ? Are you living it out? In the midst of every day. Do you have someone who is mentoring you. And someone who you are mentoring. So that you might be fulfilling Titus 2. Father we thank you for this time. We thank you for your leadership. Father for your direction and your grace in these moments. And Lord we ask. That as we see the areas where we fall so short in. Father that you would open our eyes. To be. Father, willing to repent, to lay down our hearts, to lay down our lives, and to, Father, follow you each and every moment of each and every day. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now in our time of decision. Father, if there are any here that need to know, Father, what it means to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to rest in the Savior's love so that others might see and know and rest in your Redeemer as well. Father, we pray that this morning you would move them to respond. There's any of our ladies, Father, who, have, who see that there are problems in the way that they live and the way they display their lives. Father, open their eyes so that there might be genuine repentance and godly sorrow and a move, Father, to live a life that is impeccable before our culture so that they might see and know the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, Father, they might live in it as well. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our hymn of invitation. Open the eyes of my heart.